Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the Bible. Thank you that you want us uh, to learn to trust and obey the Lord Jesus and you want to empower us to do that as well. Please help us to hear your word today in such a way that it will move beyond just our ears, but it will penetrate our hearts and change our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to tell you three things at the beginning um, that are all on the same topic but might sound kind of random. Um, The first thing I want to tell you is the main topic of what I want to tell you today. And the main topic of what I want to tell you today is that you can change. You can change. I'm not just saying you should change, you should change. But I am saying you can change. You really can. That's what this is about. Not only that, you can change and God wants you to change. God's plan is for you to become a better, a better, better person, a better version of yourself. To use a lot like old-fashioned language, to grow in virtues. That's kind of an old-fashioned way of saying it. To grow in right character. God wants you to become a better version of yourself. Husbands, let me tell you a secret. Your wife wants to change you. Maybe it's not a secret. Seriously, though, I reckon every wife could agree that their husband has room for improvement and that would probably be a good thing, yeah? Husbands, you can change, and not only does your wife want that, God wants that too. Wives, your husband thinks you're perfect just how you are. Your husband is wrong. You can change too, and you need to change too. Parents, you can become better parents than you are now. You really can become a better parent. In fact, you can really can become the kind of person that you would love your children to grow up to be just like. You really can change to be like that. Retirees, you can change too. It isn't true that reaching retirement age means that you're no longer able to grow more like Jesus. In fact, every stage of life offers us unique opportunities to grow to be more like Jesus. So you can change too. We can all change. That's what this passage is about. The question's how. God wants us to change. He might tell us to change. How are you going to change? I've said you can. You can change. That's the first thing I want to tell you. But to uh, kind of pave the way to what uh, the passage is talking about today, I want to raise uh, two philosophical questions with you that sound like they've got nothing to do with the topic, but they've got everything to do with the topic. Here's the first one. Do human beings have free will? Wow, there's a change of pace for you. You can change. Do human be- Well, m- maybe you'll see how it isn't actually a change of topic. The answer seems like common sense. Of course everyone has free will. In fact, I've been in heaps of Bible study groups where um, the topic of what's being talked about is something like um, how God is massively in control of history and he's, he's, he's sovereign over everything. And somebody will chip in, yeah, but human beings have free will as well and everybody will nod agreement. And there's no thought you have to prove it from the Bible. Because free will seems so utterly common sense. You don't have to prove it. it. Just just take it for granted. Of course human beings have free will. Here's the problem. Human beings do not have free will. Human beings do not have free will. You might think that's a very strange thing for me to say. You say, Matthew, all right, that's just your opinion. And you're free to choose to have that opinion that human beings don't have free will. Yes, yeah, very good. It's not just my opinion. The official statement of belief of the Anglican Church is called the 39 Articles of Religion. And in that, it says that human beings don't have free will. 
The official belief statement of the Anglican Church says human beings don't have free will. If that's worth something to you, why does it say that? Well, because the Bible says human beings don't have free will. So pulling it together, what I'm saying is you can change, and God wants you to, but to change, the first thing you need to realise is that you do not have free will. And that is very important for you to own and realise if you're going to change. Now, what do we mean by free will? Because that's really important. By will, by will, I basically mean our choosing ability. You've got the ability to choose stuff, yeah? That's, that's what will is, your ability to choose things. I agree people have the ability to choose things. The word free is the problem. Our wills aren't free. Our wills have all kinds of restraints and pressures that weigh in on them and often smother our ability to choose well. All kinds of limitations in all kinds of very significant ways. You know that's true from experience. I'll give you a few examples. Um, I reckon that many of you will have said something like this. You've had the experience of maybe responding very badly to someone and treating them very badly. And you've said something like this afterwards um, when you reflected on it. You've said, um, I'm really sorry I did that. I've only had three hours sleep and I'm tired. Or maybe you said, I'm sorry I did that, but I've had a really difficult week and you need to understand that to understand why I responded that way. And by giving that kind of excuse, what you're saying is, I do not have free will. Because what you're saying is those pressures, those factors, so weighed in on your decision-making ability that you need to be more lenient to me. You have to realise that I was under a kind of pressure, that my ability to choose wasn't at its peak and and, and wasn't just free to do whatever it wanted. There were uh, extenuating circumstances that led to that behaviour. Or another example, what about addictions? Do you tell a drug addict to just choose to stop taking drugs? They don't have the ability to just choose. The very definition of addiction is that they can't just choose to stop. You might respond, that's drugs, that's drugs, preventing people having free will. All right. Today there is a growing endemic in our society that's absolutely terrible and destructive, um, internet pornography addictions. Um, there are a lot of people, an increasing number of people, who are addicted to pornography on the internet and they would love to stop. They would love to stop, but they don't, know, they, they don't have the willpower, they don't have the strength to choose to stop. It is a growing problem in our society. They realise in their experience that they don't just have this ability in control to choose whatever they want. They've got strong human desires that are being warped and misdirected and manipulated in all kinds of ways that's compromising their ability to make a good decision and to stick with it. We do not have free will. There's all kinds of pressures in our wills that means we often cannot and do not choose well. But here's the Bible's biggest proof that you don't have free will. Sin. You reckon you have free will? Here's my challenge to you. Do not sin for an entire year. Then you'll prove to me that you have free will. You think you've got free will, read God's law and choose to obey it completely and perfectly, just for an entire year, not your whole life, just an entire year and I'll be impressed and I'll say, yeah, you've got at least pretty free will. But we can't do it. Human beings are unable to choose God's way completely. We're unable to choose to stop sinning. And so left to ourselves, we do not have the ability, we do not have the free will to choose to change. So I've just said you can change. But we don't have the will to be able to choose to change to be the kinds of people that God meant us to be. Now, the reason the Bible gives, in this passage in particular, if you have a look at it, it uses this word flesh 
um, throughout the passage there. uses it in a bunch of passages. I'll point out where it happens in this one. Um, so chapter 5, verse 17. Um, look at this little word there. Verse 17, it says, The flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. Or verse 19, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Or uh, verse 24, uh, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's this thing about us called flesh that that he's pointing out that compromises our ability to choose well. Flesh is basically, um, is describing what it means for us to live under the power of sin and death. What it's describing is that we are extraordinarily weak when it comes to living God's way. We're really weak being able to choose to do that. So there's lots of aspects of it. We have a massive inclination to sin. We often long and desire after the wrong thing. We're often really weak in the face of temptation. And if we're pressured and tired or feeling down, then we're even more prone to temptation because we're weak and we get weaker. We give in to impulsiveness. And so in verse, 20, uh, sorry, in verse 19, Paul lists a bunch of the acts of the flesh, things that come from obeying the flesh, your weakness, your propensity to sin. Um, and a lot of them had to do with kind of impulsiveness or giving in to urges and, 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 and bad feelings, just giving into it. The acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, that's all just impulse. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, just not being in control of yourself, not being able to choose well in the moment, being weak in the face of sin and temptation. Flesh means that our wills are broken, they're weak, and we give in to sin way, way too easily. Flesh means we cannot change under our own power. Flesh means that we do not have free will. And so the classic Christian way of saying it is our, our wills are actually enslaved. We're enslaved to sin. We can't choose well. So that's my, um, that, that's my second thing, a random thing I wanted to say at the beginning. Here's the third one. I want to ask you, what is freedom? So we spoke about free will, what's freedom? Uh, very, very important to define it because the way people think about freedom today and the way the Bible talks about freedom are very different things, very different things. So have a look at ch- chapter 5, um, 1. It, it says freedom's a big topic of this passage. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So the whole point of Jesus' saving is, is to be free, to have freedom. Verse 13, down, down there, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, and so on. You have to define freedom to understand what he's talking about. Today, freedom is, is often equated to kind of having free will, basically. Um, freedom means having absolutely no constraints on my ability to choose. I can choose whatever I want. That's freedom. As we just said, you don't have free will. There's all sorts of pressures on your ability, so we don't have freedom in that sense. But the modern definition of freedom, if I can say it like this, is about letting go. <laughs> it's about letting... It, very seriously, Frozen is teaching a modern definition of what freedom is. Uh, it, it's teaching a, a philosophical point, uh, without realising it perhaps. But uh, Freedom today is about letting go of outside restraints and doing whatever you feel like you should do. Whatever is on the inside, express that. That's freedom. Choose to do what you feel like doing. Here's what I want you to understand. The concepts of freedom and slavery are two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. In Frozen, the movie, Elsa is portrayed as being free when she isolates herself from others in order to live according to her own desires. She sings, I'm free, when the only standard she has to worry about is her own standard. Frozen calls that freedom. 
The Bible calls that slavery. Did you catch that? Living according to your own desires. The Bible doesn't call that freedom. The Bible calls that slavery. Is Elsa free to live by her own desires or is Elsa enslaved to live according to her own desires? Depends how we interpret it, doesn't it? It depends what you think good is. It depends who gets to define reality and right and wrong. Here's who gets to define reality. God made us. God designed us. He knows how human beings flourish. Human beings were designed by God to live his way. Living God's way is freedom, and therefore being enabled to live God's way is freedom. That's what freedom is. Freedom isn't doing whatever I desire. That's slavery to a broken existence. Freedom is being empowered by God to be able to choose to live his way without constraints. That means freedom has to do with God overcoming this flesh thing we talked about in our lives so that we choose badly. God has to overcome that so we can choose well. Um, let, me, let me pull these three things I've said together. You kind of get the point. Um, I've said three things there. I've said you can change and God wants you to, but... Human beings do not have free will. Our wills are weakened by the flesh and we're enslaved to sin, so we can't choose well in our own strength. But freedom is the ability to live God's way and God's the one who's going to have to figure that out. He's going to have to make it happen. Let me tell you a story that I think pulls it together pretty well. Um, some years ago now, probably a decade ago, I was on a beach mission. Beach mission is um, like a, a ministry on the seaside at, at, at Christmas holiday time um, and we'd have tents and we'd run a program for children and try to tell people um, the message of, of Jesus um, and that's what it was about. Um, on New Year's Eve this particular year, a, a guy came to our camp. Um, he uh, was a very interesting guy. We fed him dinner and I chatted to him. He was pretty rough. He walked off to the side to smoke and I went and sat with him and we talked for ages about all kinds of things. Um, among other things, we talked about Christianity. Um, he was a very, very damaged man. Um, he had had some terrible things done to him when he was young and he'd recently actually received a court settlement, uh, a large amount of money for, for that. Um, but from what I could gather, he had drunk it all away. And now he's sitting next to me, stuck in a cycle of bad behaviour and bad decisions. One of the things he said to me that was very interesting, um, he said he believes that God is the judge of the world. He said um, he believes that the people who had harmed him would pay for it. And he's right. God is the judge of the world and God will call people to account for what they've done. I asked him what he was doing at Werry Beach and he says, I'm always here on New Year's Eve. The reason is because on New Year's Eve and Werry Beach, everybody gets drunk and I plan on making over $3,000 in stealing wallets. That's why he comes to Werry Beach. At some point, I pointed out to him, um, you say you believe God is the judge of the world and yet you're here to steal and so you care about what God thinks and you're worried about this judgment thing, but you, he's sinning. And, and, and I said to him, don't you think he'll hold you to account for that? His response was absolutely instant. He said, what about those people that hurt me? It struck me, here is a man who is completely unable to change. You see this uh, in some of the more intense examples. He doesn't have the strength to change. You say you believe in free will. Well, he doesn't seem to be able to choose to live any differently. He doesn't seem to be able to choose that. You say he's free. He's choosing the way he desires. He's doing what he feels like. Yeah, he's enslaved to bad desires and bad patterns of behaviour. He's enslaved to the brokenness of his past and he's weak in the face of temptation and enslaved to the power of the flesh. 
And over time, he's just built up layer upon layer of self-justification. He hasn't done anything wrong as far as he's concerned. It's only other people who have done things wrong to him. That's the extreme example about the sort of thing we're talking about. But we all suffer from the same malady, the same disease. We are all unable to change. But here's the thing. I believe that man can change. But he can't will it by his own strength. He needs a strength that's greater than his to change him. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free from the power of sin and death. He came to set us free from judgment, which is what our sins deserve. He came to set us free to change, to live God's way as he designed us and intended us to live. It's very exciting. I, uh, it's probably a, a very quick way of explaining a lot of the content of this passage and how the whole thing sort of works in theory if I put a diagram on the screen. I've got two columns there. I've got the present and the future. Life now and life in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns and, and, and remakes everything. Jesus offers us hope for the future. Um, in the present, people live a broken existence of living according to the flesh, as we've seen. We're all sinners and we deserve God's judgment. You know what the wonderful news is? That broken person who has done so much wrong in their life, Jesus died to pay for their sins so that they know if they can trust in Jesus, if they will trust in Jesus, they will stand innocent in his sight and be welcomed into his kingdom for eternity. No matter what they've done, it's wonderful news. That broken person can be welcomed into God's kingdom. But Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but he also conquered death by rising again so that all who trust in him will be resurrected into his kingdom. So in the future, we look in the past, this body man is the uh, person broken with sin. In the future, there's a person who will be remade, resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to live God's way and have eternal life. The Holy Spirit's symbolized by the dove. Don't worry if you don't know why that is. (laughs) The basic change is from a person in the past... Who, or the present now, who is enslaved to the power of the flesh and always lives according to these bad desires and can't choose well, in the future, people will have free will because they'll be totally liberated to be able to live God's way. But you notice flesh is a body word, like I'm made of flesh. Why does it use that word to talk about our weakness in the face of sin? Here's why. Because our propensity to sin, our weakness and our propensity to sin is so built into who we are that a, a new coat of paint won't do the trick. What you need to do is completely remake people from the ground up. You need to resurrect them. You need to renovate them. You need to completely make them new so that they won't desire to sin anymore and finally will be free. And so that's what we have to look forward to as Christians. God will do that when we enter into his kingdom. So have a look at chapter 5, verse 5, and it talks about that. It says, um, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. God will make us righteous in the future. But it also mentions the spirits with us now. Because what happens is God doesn't just leave us in the present to live according to our flesh and be enslaved to sin. He sends us the Holy Spirit in the present to all who trust in Jesus. And what the Spirit does is marks somebody out and says, this is God's property. This person will be raised in the age to come to live eternal life, free to follow God's way forever. And the Spirit starts that work of remaking us in the present. He starts the work. I still haven't been remade. If in case you haven't noticed, I haven't been resurrected yet. But I've got the Holy Spirit to help me live God's way now. And that means there's a war at work in each of us. The war is two 
principles, two, two oppositions. There's the flesh, me and my natural inclination to sin, versus God's Holy Spirit that started to do a new work in me to free my will to enable me to live God's way. We won't do that perfectly until the resurrection uh, because we haven't been entirely remade yet. But the Spirit is with us, powerfully, and powerfully enabling us to change. So have a look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, and it talks about that. You're not actually enslaved to sin anymore. The flesh doesn't always win anymore. Have a look at what verse 16 says. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit. See, there's a war going, there's an opposition going on. Um, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. You're to do what the Spirit wants, because now you can. The Holy Spirit is with us, enabling us to change. There's something very, very exciting there. It's subtle. Have a look what it says at the beginning. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. I've just said we don't have a free will. It is inevitable that we will sin, because we're broken. He, he can command Christians who have the Spirit, obey God, because now you can in a way that was never possible before. That's very exciting. God is actually active and present with us to change us if we've accepted Jesus and received his spirit. So Paul says, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit. Live out this new life that the spirit gives you. Now, I've said there's two powers at work. In fact, yeah, good. Um, There's two powers at work. There's the flesh versus the spirit. Quick question. Um, Which one is stronger? Not a rhetorical question. Which one's stronger? Our, our like broken sinfulness and propensity to sin or the Holy Spirit of God? The Spirit of God, right? It should be pretty obvious. So is it going to be like an equal duel and they're always just going to, it's always just going to be like stalemate and there's going to be no progress? No. The Holy Spirit is going to make progress in the life of believers. The Holy Spirit is going to have victories. The Bible does not have space for the idea that a person can have the Holy Spirit and not be changed over time. It doesn't allow room for that. If you have the Holy Spirit, you'll be changed over time. So have a look what it says about the acts of the flesh there. We read it before um, in verses 19 to, to 21, but I want you to just notice how that little section there ends. Verse 21, uh, it says all those things, and then it says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It isn't that you need to become good enough to be forgiven. It's not saying that. What it's saying is, if you're a Christian, you really have received the Holy Spirit. And if you really have received this Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will change you. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't change you over time, then it's pretty strong evidence that you don't have the Holy Spirit. The point is that people who continue to live lives characterized by the flesh, characteristically, like that's how they live overall, show that the Holy Spirit isn't at work in them. So I've been saying, by God's Spirit, you can change. I'm now saying, by God's Spirit, you must change. That's what God's Spirit works in his people. And so there's a list of negative characteristics. Verse 22, there's the, the, sort of the, the positive things that the Holy Spirit works in people, freeing them to live God's way. It says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why are they called fruit of the Spirit? Because fruit grows on living things. If you're alive by the Spirit, then the Spirit will enliven you such that you bear these kinds of things. That means what I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, I want to say the same thing to you. What I want to say is you need to have confidence that God's Spirit can change you. You must have confidence that God's Spirit can change you because that is what the Holy Spirit of God does. It is not okay for a Christian person to aspire to stay the same as they are now. None of us is a completed project. The Holy Spirit has work to do in your life. He really does. Until he resurrects us and we are completely free to live God's way. Entirely free from sin and death. I don't have time today to go through every single attribute there in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit. That could fill a whole sermon in itself. I hope the meaning of those things, at least mostly, is fairly straightforward. Love is there at the beginning because it's the, it's, the, it's the starting point. It's the virtue, it's the, the way of living that characterizes Christians overall. It's the, it's the main one. If you love God and each other, you've got it nailed. Um, but other things are, are helpful to point out as well. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. Hopefully these things are fairly straightforward, what they mean to you. What I just want to say to finish is, I've said you can change. You're saying, okay, and the Holy Spirit's going to help me change if I'm a Christian. How, how do I change? What do I actually go home and do now? I want to tell you three things about what I think you need to do to change. Um, here's, here's what they are. The first one is to change, become a Christian, and receive the Holy Spirit. It's, 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 it has to be the starting point. If you trust Jesus, then God gives his spirit to his people. But if you don't trust in Jesus, you haven't uh, joined Jesus' side, then you won't be able to live the life of the Spirit because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Turn to Jesus today and receive his spirit to be freed from your sin and your flesh. Uh, Point two, this stuff should be obvious to uh, many of you. Third point, maybe not so much. Pray. Ask God every day to change you by his spirit. You say, God, your Holy Spirit's in me. I'd love to see some evidence of that and some outworking of that in my life. Pray that every day. Pray through this list of things in verse 22 and 23. Pray one a day. Pray them all each day. And think about them. Pray through them regularly. Here's the third thing I want to say, and it's very, very important. Use your freed will to actively engage in change and prayerfully work hard at it. This is the point that is often missed, and it's very, very important. Um, Our wills have been freed from captivity to be able to obey God in a new way. But obeying God still requires hard work. One of the mistakes I've seen Christians make with this um, fairly regularly, unfortunately... With, it, with this kind of teaching, is thinking that God will change us without us needing to be involved. Do you know what I mean? God changed me. I don't want to be involved. I just want to sort of wake up and realize I've been changed and isn't the main way it works. God frees us to be able to be involved in changing. The Spirit of God is not the spiritual equivalent of autopilot. <laughs> he gives us new desires. He gives us a new heart. He gives us the ability to obey God in a new way. The Spirit of God's transforming and empowering us so that we can do the obeying. So work hard at it. Actively engage in change yourself and pray to God to empower you to do it. Cars don't move just because they have petrol in their tank. Do they? Somebody has to do the work of driving it. And that means change takes effort and hard work because as we've said, there's a battle going on until the resurrection. 
our flesh versus the Spirit of God at work in our lives. What I want to say to you to finish is, uh, because it takes effort and hard work, if you go home and don't do anything and don't put any effort in and don't pray and don't try, then you cannot expect this teaching to be of any benefit to you. So become a Christian, trust in Jesus, pray, ask God to change you by his spirit and use your freed will to actively engage in change and prayerfully work hard at it. Have a look at how the passage ends, it's wonderful. Um, Verse 25. It says, since we live by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit's made us alive in a new way to be able to live God's way. Since he's done that to make us alive, second bit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us cooperate with God and be renewed uh, as we seek to obey him. How about I pray for us? Because I've just said we should pray. So how about I pray for the very thing that I've just said we should pray for? Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you don't leave us to our slavery to sin and brokenness. Um, We want to thank you that by your Spirit, you want to free our wills to be able to choose to obey you uh, in a way that simply isn't possible without your Spirit. Um, Thank you so much for your generosity to us that you don't just leave us to... uh, to live the way a broken existence, the way we weren't designed to live. Thank you for not leaving us for that. Thank you for your Son who forgives us for all our sins. Thank you for your Spirit who empowers us to change. Please, Father, we ask you that you would change each one of us by your Holy Spirit day by day and that we would grow to be more and more like our Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.